Anybody who's drinking a Budweiser right now, could you just raise <laughs> up your beer for one second? How, how is that beer? Right? Look, that is not a fucking tier one beer. I'm it's from the United Dan. States. I Dan, can tell you Dan, that beer is, is shit. I would never drink that if I was at home. This but right is now it tastes pretty beer. good, right? So the yeah. fact is that... Thank you once again to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yes, for your hospitality. Uh, Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. So the first in-person Sports Pro event in well over a year and a half is done. The Sports Pro OTT Summit was held this week as I'm talking to you in the impressive surrounds of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with lots of networking, a few awards and some interesting conversations about change in the digital broadcast sector and the consequences that will bring. And to wrap things up, as the drink started flowing to celebrate the end of an engrossing couple of days, we did something a little bit different as we asked what it really takes to run a successful sports OTT operation. The big debate was the format. Three statements were put to our four panellists, home truths or lazy assumptions, depending on your perspective. They were that digital sports streaming services will never survive financially on subscriptions alone, that if you don't have tier one sport, your standalone OTT service has no chance, and that social is vanity and your only real audience is the one you own. I can tell you that the panel really enjoyed pulling at the threads of those while the audience also got a chance to get involved through a live poll. But the real value we thought came in the argument. There's plenty of compelling well-articulated and sharp thinking, and a bit of fun in there as well. So let's dive into it. We'll start by giving the panel a chance to introduce themselves. Am I on? Yeah. Okay, awesome. I'm Dan Porter. I'm the CEO of Overtime. I'm Roger Mitchell. I'm the founder of Alba Chiara. I'm Manal Motor. I'm head of consumer research at Ampere Analysis. I'm Ant Arena. I'm the CEO of Aura. Okay. So, just to reset those terms, we've got three statements. They are on the screen now. Digital sports streaming services will never survive financially on subscriptions alone. If you don't have tier one sport, your standalone OTT service has no chance. And social is vanity, your only real audience is the one you own. As I say, we're gonna get a kind of agree, disagree vibe, opinions, nuance, who knows, from our panelists uh, for about 10 minutes on each of those statements. If you go into Slido on your swap card app, you can also make your own contribution. Get into the halftime arena section and you'll be able to agree or disagree with any of those statements as you go. You might be persuaded or otherwise by the contributions of the panel. Okay, let's take it from the top. Digital sports streaming services will never survive financially on subscriptions alone. Who wants to take that first? I think Roger does, uh, Owen. Roger? Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ant. Um, listen, I was thinking about this, Owen, and, and you know, I think you need to try and define what an OTT service is. You know, uh, sports going through a change in the business model from B2B to B2C, and, and, and often we think about, you know, numbers can B2C um, be equal to what you got from B2B if you do get a bid for, for, from a broadcaster. 
but I, I tend to think of um, OTT services more as community businesses, you know, where you're really bringing together people that are passionate about um, one sport or another. And, and, you know, if you define it like that, um, I, I believe that you can create a profitable, what you're calling OTT service, um, relatively easily if you know what you're doing. You know, and, and, and I like to use that, um, that formula, uh, which is you're, you're creating and, and, and collating the community, and that's got a cost, you know, whether you call it CAC or whatever. Um, if you are creating a lifetime value from that community more than that, then you, you, it's going to be successful. But, you know, as Dan will say, it's not just about the money. This is about, you know, an, an overtimes case, bringing together people that feel uh, uh, belonging to that community, that, that, that make a, a, an O sign with their hands, uh, they wear the T-shirts. So, you know, I would answer that by saying it depends. Are you talking about validity as a community that's long-standing, or are you talking about simply financial numbers? It depends is uh, not the kind of explosive opinion <laughs> I was expecting from you, Roger. Oh, but I'll what you're saying essentially is that you're, is, you're talking about memberships, I suppose, rather than subscriptions access to content. No, I just think the future of sport um, is that it's competing with other entertainment forms. So you have to work out what you're trying to convey with that community. And it shouldn't be assessed simply on numbers, whether you know subscriptions are, are going to beat what you get from the broadcaster bid. I mean, I think you should be saying, what is this community going to represent in 10 years' time? And I think that is the KPI that, that is more interesting than just the financial one. OK. Anthony? I agree with the statement. Make that uh, quick and easy. I think there's a lot of fragmentation in the audience that is consuming sports content. And so as that fragmentation becomes more diversified in sense of some people are accessing sports content, to give you an example, um, some people like to watch sport because they like to gamble. Some people like to watch sport because they like the highlights. Some people like sport because they like the fashion of, that the players are wearing when they walk into the match, like, and they like the social commentary, and these guys are celebrities. And so if people are consuming, and I think that fragmentation will get further and further apart, they're consuming sport, content in different ways, then subscription alone is not going to activate those audiences. And I know Dan, Dan and I had a great chat last night around, it's not always about squeezing every dollar out, out, of the, um, out of each fan, but it is about allowing them to have access to what they want when they want. Um, you know, I, I was talking yesterday about there's this on-demand generation where they're like, I want this and I want it now, and I want to access it kind of right away. And I think if the, anyone's running a streaming service and they don't start thinking about how they can cater to those audiences, they might have problems in a few years' time. Okay. Minal? I agree with the statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we've seen a few platforms go pure digital and even they've started looking at auxiliary revenue streams. We heard about Zone yesterday. They're looking at betting, advertising, NFTs, everything. I think... Uh, just the financial model on subscriptions with the fragmentation that Anthony mentioned. We're competing with so many entertainment services. You're never, unless you're a Netflix or an Amazon Prime, you're never going to be able to compete on just the subscriptions. Yeah. And Dan, given that your presentation in Madrid a couple of years ago was called Gen Z or Gen Z will never subscribe to your OTT, I feel like I know which way you're going to go on this one, but you might surprise me. 
Uh, well, I would say I don't think there are any digital sports streaming services that actually do subscribe do survive on subscriptions alone. I think they subscribe they survive on Russian billionaires and other billionaires <laughs> um, who love overspending for rights um, with some long-term justification. Uh, and so, at, at, at the end of the day. Like the reality is, is the only reason they won't is because the rights cost too much. And why do the rights cost too much? Because there's always a greater fool willing to spend more money for those rights. So as long as we exist in that kind of environment, then for sure. And if you go back to the linear example, at least you could argue on the non-OTT thing that you buy the rights as, you know, Rupert Murdoch famously overpaid for football rights in the U.S. to launch uh, Fox. and. Football launched The Simpsons, which launched Fox, which launched eventually the downfall of the United States. But that's another thing to talk about. But ultimately, um, yeah, there's an imbalance between the expectation on rights fees and where there can be money. And all the pressure is put on the people who are supposed to essentially be making money from buying those rights fees. And none of the pressure is actually put on the rights fees themselves. So I think that's the balance that would have to be worked out. Yeah. And I suppose the upshot to come back to Roger's point at the start is we're going from B2B to D2C and you're going from very straightforward transaction between a couple of businesses, maybe with a slightly uh, overhiked premium on those rights, to something where you're going to have to exist kind of completely in the round and hit all of those different points of contact with your audience. Yeah. I mean, you're the B2B to B2C to A to G to F to E expert, so I, 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 won't, I won't chime in there. But yes, there, there are definitely many, many players in the ecosystem. And I agree with your point that the problem is that all of these things are looked at as discrete things like, oh, well, you're on social media. You can't make social media. You can't make money there or, oh, but the fact is, to your point, you have to look at all of them as a development of essentially IP amplification and community building. And if you know how to make the different pieces work together, then you're in a good place. And if you think of each of them as their own separate P&L, then you're always fucked. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that is, I think that is the key point, you know, like, I, it depends, it really does depend because um, who is judging? You know, if it's just simply on a, um, a business uh, case, we can talk about P&Ls and whether the numbers add up. But, you know, we have seen the last 20 years in Silicon Valley that businesses are valued not on P&Ls, they're valued on communities, they're valued on per user uh, metrics. So if I'm bringing together everybody that loves triathlon, and remember, they're mainly participants. So uh, if my OTT service is participant-based and it's a rich audience and I'm getting a valuation like that, I'm not really bothered whether for the first couple of years I'm not making money. So I know we're being provocative about people maybe spending too much and Russian billionaires, but you know, let's see how this ends out and, and, and you know, what happens to whether it's the zone or whether it's 11. Um, I just think like everything in life, the, the beauties and the nuance, and I believe that if you bring together a community that you know really well, you're gonna make your wedge at the back end one way or another. Okay, uh, I think we'll move on from there. I don't know if we're getting a running uh, poll, but do keep your uh, Keep your contributions coming on Slido and we'll, we'll kick on to, to the next statement. 
Uh, Minal, I'm going to start with you. If you don't have tier one sport, your standalone OTT service has no chance. I think has no chance is um, a bit strong, but I think it obviously really helps. I think I was thinking of examples and my Kuju came to mind and they launched in what, 2015 and they've just been acquired by Eleven. So they managed to make it, what, four or five years without any tier one sports because they were, like you said, they were bringing communities together and they were giving content to people or like giving space to content that nobody else really wanted and nobody else was giving space to. So if you find that niche and that niche contradictory, but it's big enough, I think there is a chance of survival. But, you know, in the long run, you probably do want something that's tier one, don't you? Just to, especially if you're launching in new markets and stuff. Anthony? I, I disagree with this statement. Um, <laughs> I don't, I've come across some like really interesting leagues where I was totally blown away. There's like a, I'm gonna, they're not even tier three motorbike racing league in the US that has 45 million subscribers. You know, at like a few dollars a month. And they manage their costs so well, they're probably making more money than the big guys. And so if you think about it purely from a financial perspective, I think you've got an interesting product, you've got a niche audience that's engaged, like we spoke about in the last sort of segment, then I think you, know, you can do really, really well in that space and kind of grow something interesting. Um, it doesn't always have to be about, I think, tier one. You know, there's a whole set of complications that come with that, but simplicity can work really, really nicely if you've got an interesting niche, niche product. Roger? Again, again, uh, I'd like to just question the premise. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. Well, I that's feel like the contract yeah. that we all agreed, you know, socially here was. <laughs> no, we were going with listen, the premise. Listen, um, here's my here's my provocation here. If you've got tier one rights, you're probably not going to get the chance to build your own OTT because tier one is still what is driving the streaming wars. So you know, I I kind of think the question should be. Well, if you don't have tier one because that's already been bought and even WWE has gone back to our platform, um, what is the future for OTT services? And I come back to what I said before, it's a community business. What this guy on my right has done is that he's created something people care about. You know, around a certain audience, a younger audience, uh, a, an audience that creates its own content. And, and you know, that's got nothing to do with for, for, first-tier rights. What is first-tier about overtime? Nothing. You know, so I, I really think that that is one of the issues that sport has got. They are seeing OTT as basically the web 3.0 version of the old model. And I just don't see it that way. Dan, anything tier one about overtime before, just to clarify that? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're tier zero. We're actually one ahead of <laughs> tier one. So I just, anybody who's drinking a Budweiser right now, could you just raise up your beer for one second? How, how is that beer? Right? Look, that is not a fucking tier one beer. I'm from the United Dan. States. I Dan, can tell you Dan, that beer is, is a... shit. I would never drink that if I was at home. This but right now it tastes pretty beer. good, right? So the yeah. fact is that- Thank you once again to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yes, for your hospitality. Uh, I mean, I-, I I do not drive a tier one car in my garage, I can tell you, but it gets me places where I want to go. So the whole idea of tier one is just a mind fuck where those people who actually have power and control want you to believe that they can maintain their power control and you can never. So the way they do that is they designate things as tier two and tier three. 
Um, but that's just control through semantics and mind, mind control. So, so if you open your mind, as these guys said, that there are many other forms of tears out there, and in fact, they have engaged audiences, that in fact, sometimes at the end of a conference, a Budweiser does taste good, <laughs> then you'll realize that the world is filled with possibilities. I think I saw all three mics go up at the same time, but Minal, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first. If we're pulling the statement apart, what does tier one actually mean? Because it means exactly. something so different in every market. Mm -hmm. Are we saying that NFL Game Pass in the UK is not tier one? Well, I mean, it's not because it's not a massive competition here. So this, it needs so much context away from just like, oh yeah, no, it will be fine and it will work. Yeah. So one of the things that, uh, when we were devising this, one of the things that suggested itself about this statement were some of the comments that John Skipper, who's the former ESPN and, and the zone, uh, Chief said about the future of kind of streaming is tier one support with tier one supporting content. Now I don't otherwise know if, known as lazy thinking. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't know if that reinforces or, or takes away from the point that that you were making, Dan, about you know people in positions of influence making statements to to support those positions. But Anthony, what what were you going to contribute? I was just going to say, like, if you think about Netflix, Disney Plus. All of those guys, if you to take that question and put it into that context of what is tier one content, then no one would have ever bought Squid Game, right? Like it was not considered tier one content, but is the most popular show of the year. So I think there's always these little surprise packets. Like Dan and I came up after a couple of wines last night, a great idea for a new <laughs> league. I don't know what tier it is, Dan, but you know, it, it could be the future of something. And so it's tier 86. Tier 86. Here we go. But I, so I think there's like, again, there's the changing consumer um, landscape and how they, they interact with these different things means that things could come out of the woodwork. I got approached just recently by a guy who's, he's setting, he wants to set up a one-on-one -on -one soccer league. It's kind of interesting, right, about how that might come to life. But these are the sort of shifting sands of how people might consume. You know, we know with Gen Z and younger uh, audiences are not that interested in sitting and watching a game. You know, like the NFL is like four hours and, and baseball. And so maybe there'll be new formats that come along. And so to middle sport, it's like, what is tier one? Because what it is now and what it is in five years or 10 years could be very, very different. Mm -hmm. I, I would add to that that m most of the challenge is that people don't value the off the pitch content. They assume that the live game rights is the only thing that matters. And so, you know, Drive to Survive on Netflix, that's tier one content off court. But there's shows, Last Chance You, if you've ever watched that show, that are about even non-professional athletes that have mm -hmm. audiences that are as large. And so if you can expand your understanding of what sport is to the players, their social, the off the pitch, all of those other things like that, you can realize that uh, the overall velocity of content and the number of people it can reach is much greater and more valuable. Okay, Roger? Yeah, Owen, um, I, I think that a, a lot of the people in this room um, still misunderstand the lessons of celebrity boxing. You know, there is no way that you could consider that before it happened anything like tier one, two or three sports rights. But if you understand audiences and you understand taking something to where the audience already exists, and you create a personality. You know, it starts with KSI that comes from Twitch, uh, the, the Paul brothers, and then you go from there. I still think that lesson's been missed by sport. You know, like, you, you, we, we, we're talking about what is tier one, what's not tier one. Why don't we start from the audience? 
you know, like if you've got the audience, you can basically give them anything if you can do it well. You know, that's the lesson of TikTok. You know, that's how TikTok works. Why are we still thinking that some rights are better than others? Take them to the audience and see what works. Okay. Well, the audience, I could see just as we were speaking, was a pretty hard disagree on that statement as well. So I think reflecting the mood of the panel, uh, last of our three statements, social is vanity. Your only real audience is the one you own. Dan. Um, how many of you are owned by other people or companies? <laughs> Hopefully none. Um, so I think that that's kind of a bullshit premise too. Uh, the, and it shows the kind of fundamental old school thought like owning audience, like what does that really mean? Like they own your email address, like they own your credit card until you change your email address or your credit card. Um, and so what it is is that that's a statement that's put forth by people who suck at social and haven't <laughs> been able to figure out how to actually make it work for them. And people say to me, oh, how do you make any money on social? Well, next year I'm going to make almost $100 million based on social. Did I make a dollar the first year? I didn't. But I also didn't have someone breathing down my neck saying, how are you going to make money from that? I sat in the Twitch thing and the first question was, how do you make money from that? And I'm like, dude, hold on. Like, if you're going to try to squeeze a penny out of every single thing you do in the first minute you do it, you're never going to be able to get there. I love TikTok. I love Instagram. Instagram's the greatest CRM ever. I don't actually make any money on Instagram, but I, I respond to millions of direct messages. I'm able to dark post. I'm able to do so many different things there. Um, and by the way, I don't have to worry about servers or streaming or anything else like that. So the real way you own, you own an audience is you own their hearts and minds. And if they love you on social, they love you on social. The idea if you have their email, you own their hearts and minds and they never fucking open that email. That's some misguided thinking as well. Anthony. I can't follow that. Shit. <laughs> oh, what, what Dan said. Uh, Dan and I were thinking very similar about this one. <laughs> so, um, that was really good, Dan, by the way. Um, look, I, I, I think you're taking the words a little literally. You two forgetting you're, you're sitting on stools, not fences. You've got to pick, pick a side, I think, is what Owen wants out of this. Um, I don't think social is vanity. I think, you know, to Dan's point in all seriousness, it's a, it's a mechanism that sits within an ecosystem that allows you to, to create engagement and to, uh, you know, to, to build up some salience with your brand and, and get, you know, create that engagement. And so it just fits part of the mix. It's part of a communication, you know, ecosystem that allows a brand to interact with its audience. So I don't think it's vanity. I don't think the real audience is whatever you own. Um, what we've spoken about before, it's not always about how can you extract every dollar out. Um, it is about how you can, you know, if you look at some of the most successful companies and the way they got going, it was just by growing the users. You look at how Instagram got going, they sold for a billion dollars without generating a single cent in revenue. So you can be successful and you can grow these platforms to enormous scale um, before worrying too much about, you know, owning an audience and generating you know, revenue from them. Milo? I think social's got a really important place in amongst all of this, and it's what Dan was saying about like creating a community. I was just thinking of an example of Liberty Global. When they took over F1, they completely revamped that social strategy. All of a sudden, you could get closer to the drivers, you could actually get closer to the sport, and they've kind of taken that a step further with Drive to Survive, but it all started with social. And what has that led to? It's led to huge increases in audiences in the US and just globally as well. So it's not necessarily about 
monetizing that social audience, but using it, like these guys are saying, as part of a wider strategy in order to develop, like, I know it's a bit wanky, but like develop a deeper engagement with your fans, I guess. Mm. Roger? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, in, in my day, I'm probably one of the older people here. In my day, when um, Rupert Murdoch decided to buy the Premiership, I think, I think uh, Rick Parry of the Premiership said, look, if we don't do a highlights package match of the day, would you pay more? And I think famously, um, Sky said, actually, we'll pay less. Um, so the way I see it is social is the modern um, free to air. So uh, you can't ignore it if you're really good. Um, listen, there's a lot of theory about this. People use phrases like subscription monkeys and drag them down. And I, I just think, you know, like if you're offering something to a community that, 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 that sees themselves in you, I think that's the trick. You need to like seem similar. You, you, you use social and you bring them into your owned and operated, and then you, 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 you take it forward. I don't think you can ignore social. Um, I don't think it can be the only part of your strategy, but um, it is the modern free to air. That's how I see it. Mm. I've just seen the poll is hitting the dreaded 52 to 48 mark. So maybe maybe time to uh, bail out. I don't think things end well when those particular numbers are. Uh, here's, here's the main approach. point. If you believe that only the rich will get richer, you will never fucking get rich. So that's up to you. Number two is if you cannot see how all the different parts of the system work together and you're just willing to essentially bifurcate them or, or let them try to prove validity on their own, then you'll never create a holistic uh, approach to accomplish the other goal, which is how to get richer if you're not the rich who are already getting richer. Um, and the third is nothing is assumed. Everything is there for the taking. Um, one person's tier one rights for somebody who wakes up in the morning and plays League of Legends for 10 hours is somebody else's tier three rights. Um, and it's a rapidly changing world driven by technology and many other things. Uh, and so I think there's still a ton of opportunity out there. Yeah, Manel? Um, I was just going to say, actually, putting all your eggs in your social basket can also be quite dangerous, right? Because so much of the power is also with the athletes and with their following and how engaged they are with people. So you think of, say, I'm going to take Messi as an example. As soon as he leaves Barcelona, that's his audience is going with him. So you saying that, oh, social and putting everything in that basket, you've got to be really careful. There's like a fine line there between building your own brand and how much you're leveraging athletes and like what they're doing for you? Yeah, I, th I think with all of these statements, if you put all of your eggs in one basket, that's really what these are all about, then you're probably not going to be successful over time, right? It is looking at the entire ecosystem. Your audience is changing very, very dramatically. Um, the, the rate of how people are consuming content between like a 17 year old now, I mean, it could not be more vastly different between like a 15 year old and probably even someone in their 50s is so different that you have to be able to kind of play the entire deck. Otherwise, you're going to struggle. Okay. Roger? Um, I, I like to put all of this under the, the, the phrase, the, the innovator's dilemma. You know, we, we have got an industry where um, guys my age, and it's normally guys, are the cash cow, but we are not going to be around for much longer. And um, the innovator is guys like him to my right. And you know, how do you balance the two? Because you can't throw one out and just say, uh, you know, sport hasn't got that, that, that luxury. Dan has because he's starting at fresh. 
But if I'm running a sports rights holder, I've got to look after my cash cow and nurture uh, the star of tomorrow, to use the, you know, the, the management consultancy language, uh, in the best way. And, and that's, that's difficult. You know, like you, 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 you're going to have to need people that have got a skill set different to the one that sport has normally um, looked for in the past. And, and, and I think that's Dan's right. I think the opportunity is huge. For people that know what they're doing, I think there's never been a better moment to be involved in sport. Okay. All right. I think we are into... Let's lift a oh. tier three beer and toast our <laughs> yeah, panelists quite. and our hosts. We're, uh, we're, we're into stoppage time, I think, on the, in the halftime arena. Um, I just want to get to wrap up a thought from each of you, because I think, you know, this, I suppose this debate has been about misconceptions. So what would each of you suggest is a misconception about this sector, this industry, uh, that people would do well to correct? Let's go from out to in. So, Anthony, we'll start with you. Start with me? Sorry, it's hard to hear you. Um, <laughs> I, I think the, this industry, which is actually relatively new to me, uh, it can be very stuck in its ways and thinking that the, the way things have always been done is the way that they need to continue to be done. But there's a whole wealth out there of new technology, new ways to interact and engage with an audience. Viewing, you know, we worked with the NBA a lot and even just their mindset over the last few years of, we're not a sport brand, we're an entertainment brand, is a big shift in this space. And so that, that's, I think, the kind of the one sort of take out for me. And it's been great being here for the last couple of days and seeing people kind of open their eyes to, to, to things being a little bit different. And like I am, people talk about NFTs a lot and about blockchain. And I don't think NFTs is actually the solution for sport in blockchain. I think the use case for blockchain within the sports environment is absolutely enormous and is far greater than the NFT opportunity. This is the kind of stuff that will come to light over the next few years. So just, you know, I think the, the key take out there is just eyes open because technology shifts landscapes very, very quickly. Okay. Manal? I think kind of just to build on that point, you know, there are a lot of entertainment companies and I think entertainment's further along our path than we are. Like there's so much sport can learn from it. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We kind of need to be looking at them and being like, okay, they are where, where we want to be. So there are lots of takings and stuff that we can we can look to them for. And the whole point on technology, there's loads of people implementing that. Have a look at what's going on and then see how that fits for you. But don't necessarily jump on the next big thing because it won't always work. Uh, for me, uh, I've said this many times before, I think the misconception is that we're in evolution as opposed to revolution. Um, I think the invention of the, the smartphone, uh, the iPhone in 2007, uh, was a, a line in history. And the generation that was born and brought up with that device in their hands is fundamentally different. And I think the misconception of sport is that, oh, we need to add on some, something to what we, we've got just now. Whereas I believe you should take a, a blank piece of paper. Okay, Dan Porter, you've ended up with the last word. Um, I don't think there's ever been a time when there's been a greater disparity between caring about sport or a sport or a team and actually sitting down and watching it. Um, I care about lots of sports. I care about teams from cities where I grew up in. I care about players. Um, 
But I also can, you know, play fantasy football. I can look at Twitter. My brother can text me something that he saw. And so I feel like my knowledge and participation in what's going on, oh, Zach Levine had an incredible night last night on the Bulls, but the amount of time that I actually spend sitting on a couch paying for a service and watching is drastically lower. And so in all of those things, the same way there was when essentially newspapers stopped being delivered and they lost classifieds, as a form of advertising, you have a powerful cultural force, but the economic levers in that force are being radically changed. And, you know, people have to figure out how to adopt to that. Okay. Well, we are going to leave you all to figure out how to adopt to that because that is the end of this final session of the Sports Pro OTT Summit. Thank you to Anthony Arena, to Minal Moda, to Roger Mitchell, and to Dan Porter. Thanks to all of you for Thank sticking you. with us uh, and for taking part in those polls as well. Um, enjoy your Budweiser's. Speak again soon. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media.